Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 38 of The Bugle, the world's greatest audio newspaper for a visual world, for the week beginning Monday, the 28th of July, 2008, which means that the day, the year, and the edition number of The Bugle all end in eight, which means that the world is 23% certain to end this week. Sorry, that is clearly partly our fault. I'm Andy Zaltzman in the beautiful city of London, and in New York City, it's Mr John Oliver. Hello, Buglers. Hello, Andy. Hello. How are you doing? I'm okay, thanks, John. I had uh, a slightly awkward encounter a few days ago with Will Ferrell. Uh, I don't right. know if you saw the show. He was uh, he was a guest on The Daily Show, and as he was walking down the corridor to go on, I could see he was wearing a Chelsea shirt. Right. And I've met him before, but I certainly don't know him. And as the interview was going on, all, all I could feel was this rage swelling <laughs> up in my stomach. And afterwards, he came over to say hello, and I said to him, Oh, so uh, you support Chelsea, then? And he said, oh, I don't know, I, I, just, I just like soccer in general. I haven't really chosen a team yet. <laughs> and I found myself saying, well, you have now, Will. <laughs> you've chosen Ferrell, and you've chosen badly, and now you have to live with that choice. What a strange thing to say to someone who is in a very different tax bracket than me. <laughs> he looks slightly concerned. I, I could feel the hooligan in me coming out. It is uh, Monday the 28th of July this week, which means that's yesterday, Sunday the 27th, was National Sleepyhead Day in Finland, in which the laziest person in the house is traditionally thrown into a lake. And John, to me, this is the problem when a country has too many lakes. They look for flash things to do with them. And this discrimination against the lazy is the 21st century's version of the persecution of the early Christians by the lions. It's got to stop. It wasn't by the lions, Andy. The lions were just following orders there. (laughs) As always, some sections of the Bugle go straight in the bin. This week, a special Bugle forgery section. How to pass off a brand new sofa as an 18th century chaise longue that once belonged to dead French Queen Marie Antoinette. It's amazing what you can do with a couple of baguettes and a dead alligator. Uh, Also, how to fake the early works of the great masters. Remember, even Rembrandt drew stickmen when he was a nipper, and his first self-portrait is basically just a circle with two dots for eyes. Also in the bin, a free Bugle audio direction to help you find your way around town. This week left here. Next week we'll be giving you right at the next set of lights, then first left. Top story this week, Radovan Karadic. There was big news from the old world this week when it was revealed that ex-Bosnian Serb leader and warlord Radovan Karadic had been captured. And warlord has to be one of the coolest albeit morally reprehensible-sounding <laughs> job titles available. Either that or Warlock. <laughs> I think I wanted to be a Warlock when I was a little Andy until I realised the amount of paperwork that was involved. I just <laughs> love the idea of riding a pitchfork. You were a pretty good Warlord in your time back in Britain before you were yeah. hounded out of the country. Yeah, that's, that's a part of my life that I don't like to dwell upon now, Andy. I did what I did. Do you regret Rianne? All I can say is the streets of South London are a lot more relaxed since you left. Yeah, relaxed, but a little more unruly. I ruled with uh, an iron foot. (laughs) So, Karadic was the most wanted war criminal in Europe and was responsible for tens of thousands of deaths and has been on the run for 13 years. Now, Richard Holbrook, the US diplomat, tried to explain his significance as a figure to Americans by saying, this is a historic day, one of the worst men in the world, the Osama bin Laden of Europe has finally been captured. Uh, Here's the thing, Holbrook, I think you'll find that bin Laden is the Osama (laughs) bin Laden of Europe. He's pretty much the Bin Laden of everywhere. When you've committed terror attacks on that scale, I think you have earned the right to be the touchstone by which other arseholes are judged. (laughs) 
Holbrook also described uh, Karadzic as a major thug. Um, <laughs> it does seem that the Hague yes. War Crimes Tribunal might rule that to be something of an understatement. <laughs> So, where has this internationally renowned douchebag been hiding all this time, Andy? It must have been somewhere pretty impressive to have evaded capture for over a decade. Uh, was it uh, in a cave? Um, an underground bunker? Maybe inside an invisibility cloak? <laughs> no, none of those. Instead, this modern-day Scarlet Pimpernel chose the master disguise of becoming a bearded New Age doctor and practising medicine under a false name in Belgrade. That was it! <laughs> His plan to avoid capture was just to grow a beard and hope for the best. <laughs> Come on, that's not even Scooby-Doo standard. When they caught him, he was heard to be screaming, I would have got away with it too if it wasn't for that pesky war crimes tribunal. Yeah, uh, Carriage apparently has become a self-proclaimed expert in human quantum energy, which is a bit of a sideways career move from genocide. Maybe he's learnt his lesson. But perhaps that means he would have liked to use the quantum energy power chip golf glove, which, <laughs> according... <laughs> to its own websites can really improve your driving as well as your short game and your ability to order ethnic cleansing. It does seem, uh, from Karadich's example, that there is no better place to hide than directly under the nose of the authorities <laughs> dressed up like an off-duty Santa Claus. <laughs> so, since 95, he's been renting an apartment in Belgrade and using the name Dragan Dabich. And he's been making uh, a living practising alternative medicine. And pretty alternative, seeing as his specialist area was mass genocide. <laughs> you just don't get that in mainstream medicine, Andy. This is very good news, basically, uh, unless, I guess, you're a Serbian nationalist musical writer. And you were just putting the finishing touches to the score for your hit new stage show, Radovan, What a Man. In which case, I guess you'd be pretty pissed off and have to write a new ending. But for everyone else in the world... <laughs> It is the good news. And he's, gonna, he's apparently going to defend himself. Good yeah, idea. Because I think what history shows us is that there's one thing that genocidal despots generally don't lack, and that is self-confidence. <laughs> uh, arguably, they have it to excess, and this is part of the problem. But Always entertaining. You stick a despot on a witness stand, and the, f the fireworks will flow. Well, he's great at disguise. Perhaps this is his escape plan. He's just going to put on a false moustache and glasses and then just walk free out of the courtroom. His capture's been linked to the new Serbian government, which took power a couple of weeks ago, and apparently wants uh, to get a place in the EU. And it just shows what an incredibly powerful continent Europe is, John. Yes. That's when a membership of EU is up for grabs, then basically anything goes. And I think maybe, looking at this, if we really want a peaceful world, we should offer Al-Qaeda a place in the European Union. Because I reckon if oh. we did, they'd probably have Bin Laden in the post by sundown if they thought they could get some decent agricultural subsidies <laughs> out of us. Either that, or if we learn one thing from this, is that if we want to find Bin Laden, we should start checking acupuncturists in the Washington, D.C. area. <laughs> it's possible that he's been selling aromatherapy candles for the last year out of his own shop in Philly. Karadzic's lawyer expressed um, disappointment and uh, complaint about the way in which... Uh, his client was arrested. Uh, he said people showed him a police badge and then he was taken to some place and kept in the room. And that is absolutely against the law what they did. <laughs> now, it does seem a little bit petty, John, for someone who is basically going to spend the foreseeable future watching videos in The Hague and saying, yes, I suppose that is me and that one as well. It does seem a bit petty for someone who I guess most people would agree has really overstepped the mark legally with his mass killing foible. For then to turn around and have a go at the police on a matter of technical procedure... <laughs> It just seems a little rich. In all the wonderful details of this story, the one that trumps the whole bunch is uh, the revelation that he also had a bi-monthly column in Healthy Life magazine. <laughs> 
let me let me run that by you again, as it can be difficult to take <laughs> in the first time. A man charged with ethnic cleansing worked for Healthy Life magazine. Although, to be fair, they, as a publication, have always been a safe haven for despots. <laughs> Idi Amin once had a column writing about earwax candles, and uh, there is still a letters page to this day called Ask Mugabe. <laughs> For those of you who don't know a lot about Radovan Karadzic, here is a Karadzic fact box. Radovan Karadzic is an award-winning poet, an expert in psychiatry and alternative medicine, a qualified fugitive and a convicted embezzler, but it seems now that he will probably be best remembered for genocide and human rights violations. <laughs> uh, Karadzic presented a game show called Radovan's Carrot Tips on Yugoslavian state television in the 1970s, in which he advised housewives how best to use carrots in traditional Slavic stews, salads and carrot cakes, all with a subtext of Bosnian Serb nationalism. Karadzic sometimes thinks that he might have been really good at baseball, but he never actually played. But he thinks that if he had played, he'd probably been a useful third baseman and modelled his batting style on Mickey Mantle. But Boston Red Sox manager Terry Francona thinks that Karadzic might have made a better shortstop and would be better off concentrating on getting on base rather than going for the big glory shots. <laughs> Ironically, Francona's father was called Tito. Also the name of Tito, the former leader of Yugoslavia, who ironically managed to keep a lid on the kind of nationalism from which Karadzic ultimately made his name. That's just one of life's little quirks. Uh, Terry Francona, incidentally, thinks that the Bosnian War was bad and wishes everyone could have sorted it out peacefully. Radovan Karadzic thinks the Red Sox aren't quite the force they were last year. It seems those two will never get along. <laughs> Other news now, and President Bush and Wall Street. Bush, who will not be president for much longer, just hang in there. <laughs> Everyone, it's, it's not too long now. In fact, think of it this way. Children conceived now will be born into a world where he is not leader of the free world. There's a lot oh, we thought. Actually, that's interesting, because I've got uh, my second child due out... Uh, oh, that's true. ...December w the 19th. Oh, no! So he's going to Oh, have, no! His, his or her first month will be blighted by the continuing... Dying embers of the Bush era. Can he or she not? Can you not just convince them to just stay in a Could, little yeah, while hang longer? In there. Compromise with the American political system. Maybe they can bring the inauguration forward a couple of weeks, and we can yeah meet fire. you halfway. Bush was caught saying something really quite unpleasant at a fundraiser uh, when addressing a room full of people after he asked for the cameras to be turned off. But here's the thing, Andy, if, if anyone says, and can we turn the cameras off for this, <laughs> the very last thing that you want to do is turn off your camera. If anything, you want to turn another backup camera on. <laughs> and maybe have someone capturing the moment in watercolour as well, because something good is on its way. He talked about the economy in glib and eventually incomprehensible terms, saying, there's no question about it, Wall Street got drunk. That's one of the reasons I asked you to turn off the TV cameras. It got drunk, and now it's got a hangover. The question is, how long will it sober up and not try to do all these fancy financial instruments? That last bit, Andy, makes no sense. Now, he has been consistently mocked for his speaking style, but that is taking it to a whole other level. I definitely know what he's trying to say there. To, to, to be fair, I, I get the implication, but he ends up sounding more like a Lewis Carroll nonsense poem. Later on in the video, he starts ranting, Beware the Jabberwock, my son, the jaws that bite, the claws that catch. Beware the jujub bird, and shun the frumious bandersnatch. <laughs> uh, I think it's a bit harsh, uh, though, John, for everyone to be so critical of Bush, to slam a guy for a few little words he may or may not have said, or in this case did actually say, <laughs> in the privacy of a political fundraising event. Because we live in a cynical age, John. 
And, like a German research scientist looking at X-ray scans of people's stomachs in an investigation using barium-coated sausages to see how the digestive system works, we do tend to see the worst in people. <laughs> oh, let's take <laughs> a moment's silence now. Just so that Andy can think about what he did with that joke. <laughs> that was a long walk to a laboured punchline. <laughs> Oh, was he, I don't know, I prefer to think of it as a kind of Seve Ballesteros golf hole. You know, I might have hit the drive into the car park. But I pulled off a great shot onto the green and I ended up with a solid tar. But I think, you know, we live in a cynical age and I've had enough of this cynicism, John. I think it's time to take President Bush at face value for once. Just because he and the truth have had a bit of a stormy distance relationship over the years. I'm going to give the leader of the free world some credit and assume that he was just telling us the bald truth. And in fact, it is the most logical explanation for the world's financial crisis that Wall Street did actually just get drunk. Because how else could you explain so many of the world's leading economic brains conspiring to screw up the entire world economy through idiotic schemes like lending lots of money to people with no money? That's the thing. If Wall Street did get drunk, Andy, whose fault would that be, I wonder? Would it have been anything to do with the drink specials that bartenders Bush and Cheney were ramming down their throats, encouraging them to do fiscal body shots, and looking the other way as they balanced on their head and drained a financial keg? Even this crass analogy is an understatement, because Wall Street not only got hammered, it also snorted an unfeasible amount of cocaine, threw up in someone's garden and screamed something racist at the cab driver on the way home. (laughs) Wall Street is a bad drunk, Andy, because it is not a pleasant person. (laughs) But uh, something even worse actually happened later on. Uh, He was making light of the foreclosure crisis, saying, and then we've got a housing issue as well, not in Houston. And evidently not in Dallas, because Laura's over there trying to buy a house right now, uh, to peals of great laughter. <laughs> and there is, Andy, really no funnier piece of material as uh, <laughs> stuff on people losing their houses, uh, especially when it comes from the mouth of someone who was mainly responsible for it. <laughs> oh. Moving on from the current president to the future one, and Barack Obama has been wowing the famous old continent of Europe, which, of course, is the continent that's given the world political leaders such as King Zog of Albania, Gerald Batliner, the former Regerung chef of Liechtenstein, and Hannah Spirit, former leader of the pop group fun- come fascist political organisation S Club 7. But Obama said that sometimes uh, America and Europe have drifted apart, most notably, of course, over the divisive issue of Iraq, and also due to the movements of the world's tectonic plates over several hundred millions of years of divisive (laughs) prehistory. So will Obama, John, set in motion a shunt of the US back towards its true Euro-African origins and move the Earth's crust? I mean, we know this man has a lot of influence over people with his uh, formidable rhetorical skills, but can he persuade the Earth to reverse its last couple of billion years? Well, his elevated rhetoric, Andy, is truly inspirational. And, uh, well, if plate tectonics can't feel that, then they really have no heart whatsoever. Uh, What uh, interested me, John, was the difference in um, coverage between Obama and uh, McCain, who also, I think, came to Europe, and no-one quite knows because there's no actual TV footage of it. But uh, apparently he was giving a speech yesterday that was interrupted by one TV network to report on the rescue of a bear cub in California. (laughs) That shows the difference in media treatment of the two cases. Is that true? That is true. (laughs)
Exploiting African natural resources news now, and apparently the Saharan sun could provide all of Europe's electricity. A huge £35 billion supergrid in the Saharan desert could give Europe all the power it needs uh, by the middle of the century. Uh, the plan's been backed by Gordon Brown and Sarkozy. Presumably also this could also power most of Africa as well, but that's by the by, because that sun belongs to us, John. We discovered the sun. That's Africa right. is lucky that we have leased it to them to heat up their deserts. Yeah, t- talking of which, they owe us quite a lot of rent for that sun that's yeah. been shining on them. But no, we'll, we'll talk about that later, when they got back on their feet. And it's good news as well, I think, uh, from the Sahara's point of view, because frankly it's about time it got off its fat, sandy arse and did something useful for the planet. <laughs> The uh, the solar-powered field would be an area slightly smaller than Wales, and you'd apparently need just 0.3% of the light that fell on the Sahara in the Middle East to power the whole of Europe's energy needs. And the Sahara gets a lot of sunlight, Andy, and uh, very intense sunlight, so would this make the Sahara now the richest region on Earth? Because if the future means that the more sunlight you get, the richer you are, that's bad news for Britain, Andy. We're going to be down at the bottom of that table, keeping Norway company. Some people aren't in favour of this. People said we've gone to all this effort to ensure access to oil. We owe it to everyone who've given their lives in these conflicts, not to just cave in at the first sign of alternative energies being genuinely viable on a global scale. So we have to be strong in the face of threats like this to our oil-based economy, John. Other green technologies and developments include attempting to harness the power of sexual tension, because let's remember there are a lot of teenage boys in the world and also quite a lot of female French teachers... And we just need to hook those two up to a generator and watch the sparks fly, albeit only in one direction. Also, another green technology is a giant treadmill in Africa for migrating wildebeest to run over. Uh, That apparently could generate enough power to send Argentina into space and back again. And also, they are trying to harness the power of swearing. And in my house, I reckon that could probably keep keep (laughs) us going for the next 50 years. Bugle feature section now, and a relationship section. Tomorrow, Tuesday, will be 27 years to the second since Prince Charles and Princess Diana TM got married, uniting the warring houses of Windsor and Spencer and ushering in a new era of peace for war-torn Britain. Of course, it didn't quite work out quite as well as the commemorative cup and saucers would have you believe, but that's often the way, John, with relationships like this. Let's not forget Prince Charming and Cinderella. That didn't work out too well either, once the excitement of the wedding was over and it was down to the daily grind of married life. Charming increasingly found the powerless ceremonial duties of a modern royal to be both tiresome and vacuous. And although Cinderella looked damn hot in a ball gown, her working-class roots soon shone through embarrassingly on major state occasions. She was wont to making lewd comments to foreign dignitaries and dancing over-enthusiastically whenever the royal band started playing I Will Survive. Charming descended into alcoholism and depression as the magic of their early courtship wore off, and he soon resorted to teasing his poorly educated wife about being rubbish at Scrabble and undermining her fragile self-confidence by telling her that, as the years went by, she looked more and more like her sisters. Cinderella sought comfort in the arms of a pumpkin who'd been turned into a tennis coach, and once the inevitable divorce was finalised, both had become characters of ridicule in the gutter press. Cinderella ended up selling cheap jewellery on a cable shopping channel, and King Charming, as he now was, presided over the final days of an outdated monarchy before living out his life in exile and bitterness, trying to seduce Romanian waitresses on a cruise ship. So, to mark this anniversary, a special bugle relationship section. Andy, you're the new brother's groom. 
your children are yeah. so lucky to have such a wizard of the fairy tale That's reading right. to them at night. I, I tell it like it is. Now sleep well, kids. Why are you staring at the ceiling? And relationship of the week, John, of course. Where else to start but with the Darwins, the famous fake canoe death couple, who have been sentenced to over six years in jail each uh, for their part in the fraud. So has it been big in America, John, the... Uh, it's not, and so you may need to uh, slightly give uh, Americans the background to this absolutely ludicrous story. Yeah, basically, it's about six years ago now, Mr and Mrs Darwin cooked up a plan whereby he would fake his own death in a canoeing accident, and basically they would claim his life insurance and various other benefits. He then lived in secrecy through a secret door at the back of their house for several years whilst uh, their two sons thought he was dead, and then they moved to Panama. I know I have a deserved reputation for lying, John, but this is all fact. (laughs) He's often referred to as back-from-the-dead canoeist, and that really is an amazing title to have for yourself, however illegally it was obtained. Back-from-the-dead canoeist. It's a heck of an icebreaker. Hi, can I introduce you to uh, John? You may know him as uh, the the back-from-the-dead canoeist. Ooh, that sounds fascinating. How did you get that name? Well, um, long story short, uh, I was a canoeist, um, I died, and now I'm back. Past the olives. That was how uh, Jesus was known in the first draft of the Bible. I think what this proves, this story about the Darwins, though, is that if you fake your own death in order to scam insurance and benefits and then live in secrecy for several years whilst your children think that you're dead, then move to a new continent to take advantage of your ill-gotten gains and then pitch up out of the blue pretending to have amnesia, it does put quite a lot of strain on your family relationships. It was a disappointing excuse, though, when he, when he turned up and uh, claimed that he had amnesia. He could have at least turned up in his canoe claiming to have discovered a new continent. That's basically <laughs> what Columbus did, and he got away with it. He's a hero <laughs> nowadays. Well, I don't believe it when anyone dies now. I'm half expecting the Queen Mother to pitch up. <laughs> well, the son's saying, I'm fine. I've just been running a motorcycle gang in Kent. Bugle relationship advice now. And one, if you're going through financial difficulties with your partner, don't fake your own death and rip apart your entire family. <laughs> two, if you're a high-profile man and enjoy the benefits of a warm, long and successful marriage, try not to get filmed partaking in a sadomasochistic orgy that is then plastered all over the world's media, revealing a secret side to your sexuality that you've kept secret from your partner for over 50 years. And finally, any relationship relies on respects. If you're having a minor squabble with your partner about a matter of sporting trivia, do not, when proved right, react with excessive triumphalism, thumping your chest and ululating before parading around the kitchen shouting, stick that one in your pipe and tell it where to stick itself, and making yourself a giant silver trophy which you then cuddle up to in bed every night. Take that one from me. Your emails now, and this one comes from Joel Oliver, who writes, Hello, Andy and John, in order of hilarity. That's... Oh, come on! Well, there's, no need, there's no need to divide us. Well, he doesn't, he doesn't say what order, whether that's ascending or descending. So oh, good point. He's basically point. insulted both of us. Greetings from Australia. John, you may be interested to learn that I have an ancestor named John Oliver. As I learned of the deeds of my several greats-grandfather, I came to a startling conclusion that you, John, share a very distinctive characteristic with him. John Oliver, the other one, was captain of a sail ship that arrived in Melbourne, Australia in the 1860s. Upon oh, hearing... boy. Oh, what was he sailing there? <laughs> it was probably people. <laughs> it was probably your criminal ancestors. Sorry, <laughs> carry on, Andy. 
Upon hearing of the fortunes found in the Victorian goldfields, Captain Oliver's crew abandoned the ship and fled to Western Victoria to try their luck looking for shiny things. Uh-oh. This is where the similarity was unsurfaced. After his crew left him, John Oliver decided to abandon his post and seek a quick pile of money in a place that seemed to be abundant in opportunity. You, John <laughs> Oliver, have abandoned your post, have abandoned your country to seek fortune in the goldfields that is show business in America. <laughs> Let me tell you, I found very little gold in that field. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I'm not a lover of England, being born in Australia. Uh, However, this does not dampen my outrage at your traitorous behaviour towards the country that accidentally jettisoned their best and brightest citizens to an island that the Dutch tripped over on the way to a house party. You are a disgrace to your name, John Oliver, your heritage, and to the glorious man, you are privileged, I like this bit, to share the glory that is the bugle with. (laughs) <laughs> I propose that the Bugle's name be changed to The Bugle, brought to you by Andy Zaltzman and another person. For shame, John <laughs> Oliver. For shame. That is both uh, barrels, isn't it? Yep. I don't know well, if there's any I'm... Bugle listeners who are called Zaltzman out there. I'd imagine... <laughs> other than my immediate family. Um, I'd imagine there might have Even been more... Even though I'm not sure they're regular listeners either, Andy. <laughs> um, imagine there might have been more had we started this podcast in the 1930s. A great Hottie from History nomination here from Nicole Valentino. Dear John and Andy, it took a lot of thinking, but I finally came up with my vote for Hottie from History. Hatchput the Queen, who would be king. Something about androgyny just plain turns me on. Me too, Nicole. <laughs> me too. This feisty female pharaoh was the fifth pharaoh, say that three times fast, of the 18th dynasty of ancient Egypt. She's generally regarded by Egyptologists as one of the most successful pharaohs, reigning longer than any other woman of an indigenous Egyptian dynasty. To quote Paris Hilton, that's hot. (laughs) The sexified Hatchput assumed the position of pharaoh, and her reign as king is usually given as 22 years. The other most famous female pharaoh was the infamous Cleopatra, another hottie, but her general sluttiness sullies her reputation enough to even be considered as a bona fide hottie from history. <laughs> good good argument. Good <laughs> argument. What I like about this is a really rounded pitch yeah. for hottie from history. Hatchput's illustrious career included a marriage to her half-brother, Thutmose II, who was considered a god. Not bad. <laughs> She also re-established disputed trade networks, oversaw naval expeditions in an attempt at oh, diplomacy yeah. and healthy foreign relations. Keep it was coming. Also, <laughs> was also, I feel, I'm feeling a bit ill, Andy. <laughs> was also, don't make those noises, was also one of the most prolific builders in ancient Egypt. Oh, talk me some hieroglyphs. <laughs> she even has her own room at the Met Museum of Art in New York City. Let's see Florence Nightingale claim that. Oh, this is disappointing. It was a lovely email, and all of a sudden, you have to make it slag off Nightingale, the original hottie from history. Just wait for the climax here (laughs) in every sense of the word. Although CAT scans of her mummified remains indicate that she had arthritis, bad teeth and diabetes before she died at 50 years young... Oh, yeah! You and the have a type. (laughs) I still think that... (laughs) That Hatchford, the queen who would be king, is definitely a historical hottie. Or indeed even a hottie from history. Well done, Nicole V. That is a very strong nomination. <laughs> Hold on, I'm going to... I'm going to, uh Have a bath. <laughs> Certainly I'm going to have a bath. I was just going to uh, see if there's any existing images on the internet of her. Let's see. Oh, Yeah! <laughs> She looks good in stone. That's all right. I'm saying. Oh, dear. Well, <laughs> Unfortunately, I've just found a picture of her mummified remains. 
to be fair, she probably looks good for her age. And another hottie nomination comes from Ash Dunn in Manchester, UK. The real one, he writes, not that poxy rip-off in New Hampshire. <laughs> Salutations, chaps. That's a superb British beginning to a missive. Salutations back to you, Ash. <laughs> I would like to venture forth my nomination for Hotties from History, Marie Curie, a seriously saucy science seductress who must have been quite the between-the-sheets showstopper. In oh, the, yeah! <laughs> in the course of this randy researcher's career, she was exposed to so much radiation that she eventually died of aplastic anemia. Wow! What wouldn't she do? <laughs> it would be the ultimate bargaining chip in the laboratory of love. Come on, baby. I know it might sting to do this, but, you know, not as much as radiation sickness. Remember, <laughs> the safe word is polonium. <laughs> Radioactively hot. Turns out me and Marie Curie have one thing in common, at least. <laughs> so do keep your emails and hotties from history nominations flooding in to the bugle at timesonline.co.uk. Sport now, and uh, Olympic news. China has said that it will allow protests and demonstrations during the Olympics, the only stipulation being that it will only be in three designated areas. Andy, is one of those designated areas the back of a police van? (laughs) And is that incredibly similar to the other two designated areas? And, And in other Olympics news, the Iraqi athletes have just been banned from the Olympic Games. Well, Andy, that is great news for America. <laughs> Just when they thought they could have the much-needed photo op of Iraqi athletes parading happily around <laughs> in the opening ceremony, they're left with different sound bites, such as this one from a female Iraqi sprinter who said, Well, I guess I can compete in 2012, but the way my country's going at the moment, I don't know if I'll be alive by then. <laughs> well, oh, dear. That is a different piece of PR than her wandering around smiling and waving a flag. <laughs> Poor, it's not. It's been a tough few years for Iraq. You know, and now that is, that is that is another quintessentially British <laughs> understatement, Andy. It has been tough. Cricket now, and following the England selector's surprise choice of Australian roofer Darren Pattinson to play against South Africa in the second Test match, large on the grounds that he looked like a strapping lad and a decent bloke, they have now turned their attention to the Philadelphia Phillies all-star second baseman Chase Utley. The chairman of selectors, uh, Jeff Miller, said Utley's never played cricket, as far as I'm aware, but he's a winner and he's in form. Utley is set to replace out-of-form wicketkeeper Tim Ambrose. Miller said that Utley is used to playing with one glove, so he should be even better with two. Meanwhile, bowler Jimmy Anderson is set to be rested for the next Test match in Birmingham and replaced with a World War II QF 25-pounder howitzer. Miller commented, Jimmy's knackered and we need someone who can blast a few holes in the South African batting lineup. The QF 25-pounder has proved itself on the international stage and we're confident that the South African batsmen are less confident against heavy artillery than they are against human bowlers. We also know that their captain Graham Smith is scared of sharks, so we're also including Jemima, the hammerhead shark from the London Aquarium, in our matchday squad. And finally, for this week, the Bugle forecast. This week, I am heading up to Edinburgh for the Edinburgh Festival, where I'm playing a friendly Bugle listeners who haven't been passing through at the stand in the afternoon at 2.40, and hosting the political animal show at the Underbelly. <laughs> Do come along. I didn't realise we were along. selling things at the end of the Bugle. Yeah, is, this the, is this the advert section? This is the advert section. In which case, can I say how much I enjoy Pringles? <laughs> Except I don't. I don't enjoy them at all. I find them a really bland snack. And the forecast this week is for my first show on Thursday. Will I have finished writing it in time? John, what do you think? Andy, I mean, I would say it's more likely for uh, a tornado (laughs) 
to hit Streatham <laughs> and to physically carry you up <laughs> to Edinburgh, placing you carefully down into your flat. Right. So, I, I mean, that is a long way of saying I don't think it's going to be ready, Andy. What are you basing that? That on, that I'm basing that suggestion. on. I'm basing that on past experience, <laughs> and also on the kind of trembling tone of your voice. <laughs> well, what is your prediction? My prediction is it will be absolutely pin sharp and ready to go. <laughs> well, good luck, Andy. <laughs> Thanks. Good John. luck. Yeah. No, no, sorry, I wasn't saying good luck to you. I was saying good luck to the first audience of that show. <laughs> good luck. So do join us next week, where I will be in Edinburgh at the festival, and John will still be in New York. Bye. Bye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.